Uh, I'm really excited to introduce to you our guest speaker this morning. It is someone who, if you're a part of our church, you know her, Stacy DeVries. And uh, Stacy has just returned from a really impactful missions trip in Africa. And as I sat down with her and as we kind of went over her experiences and what God was doing in and through her, what God was opening up her eyes to, um, it kind of became more and more apparent to me that it needed to shift from being just a five-minute review to uh, I needed to carve out a significant amount of space for her to share because it was uh, pretty inspiring and definitely something here for, for every single one of us in this room. Um, she's asked me to read um, a story that might be familiar to us from John chapter 6, Jesus Feeds the 5,000. So I'm going to read that and then invite her up to share. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they were, because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, spoke up. Uh, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far is that going to go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish, fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. that working? Hopefully I'll do a little bit better than cash this morning. Uh, Jesus. (laughs) Um, I just want to thank Jeff for giving me the platform to speak. This is really just an act of obedience on my part. Um, It's not that he wanted another week off. Um, I really appreciate that he heard my story and gave me time today. It did feel much more significant than some of my other trips there. And I know that a lot of you were praying for me, and I know many of you were reading my Facebook posts and sending us encouraging messages, and that means way more than you realize when you're in a foreign country by yourself, feeling like you're by yourself. Um, I've, I've been where you are a lot of time in my life, sitting in the pews, uh, listening to the messages, and I have to admit, a lot of times for me, it's out of discipline. 
Sometimes I don't allow the messages to sink in and really, really listen. God, what do you have for me today? But when you step out into an intentional ministry, it has a way of drawing you closer to God um, in a way that you want to hear God's voice and really get in tune with the Spirit because you know you're getting it a little bit over your head. So this trip in particular pushed me into a deeper need to hear God's voice in my life. It made me much more alert to the Holy Spirit's prompting and leading, and I felt it before I left, I felt it when we were there, and I've felt it um, since I've been back. It's been just over a month. So rather than go through a bunch of pictures and an itinerary of, of the different things that we did, what I really want to share this morning is um, what God has taught me through this journey. I think it's best shown in the story of the loaves and the fish. So I spent some time looking at that story this week, and there are three things that stood out to me. The first thing that stood out was that John mentioned that they're barley loaves. And so I'm like, who cares if they're barley? What's the big deal about barley? John's the only one who mentions that they're barley. So look that up, and it's the cheapest form of bread that you could have. So it was the equivalent of wonder bread or, like, gross, disgusting white bread. <clears throat> There was nothing special about his offering. It was poor and it was common. And it even alludes to the fact that this boy may have been a slave. The second thing that stands out is Philip's response, where he says, do you even know, Jesus, how much money this would cost to give everybody even a bite? Um, The problem is too costly. It's too costly to fix and it's too big. And the third thing is Andrew's reaction. Um, And this... I mean, think about this. It kind of would have been embarrassing to be Andrew, and here you have this tiny lunch when you're looking at over 5,000 people. And he's like, Jesus, we have this, but it's not going to be enough for sure. It was probably embarrassing for him to even offer that. The offering was too small. And that is exactly how I felt going into this trip, (laughs) that there's nothing special about my offering, The problem is too costly, and my offering is too small. I'll show you what I had in my lunch sack. I had the ability and the resources to travel. I actually have two passports, so I could have gone twice. We had a very small amount of trauma training and a book that we we did work hard on, but at the last minute, it felt like we kind of threw it together, finished it um, right before we left. And I had three years of martial arts training. That's it. So just to review again what we were doing, and I'm happy to see some of my team members here this morning. Thanks for coming. So Dean and Marlene Simonoff, myself, and our friend, partner, and martial arts extraordinaire, Zula Mushambukazi. She's a Rwandan national that we've been friends with now for a couple of years. And about a year ago, over a year ago, we formed a nonprofit here in Nelson called Martial Arts for Justice. In response to injustices that we saw happening locally um, and especially globally. And our vision is to empower vulnerable people so that they feel safe and capable of defending themselves from violence and oppression. So what we thought we would be providing was kind of a proactive response to a need. We'll go teach them how to defend themselves so then they won't get into these situations. But what actually happened, well, God knew that we would need to react and respond to the violence and trauma that had already happened. 
And I think any time our spirit feels prompted to step out, whether it's teaching Sunday school, which to me that's way more scary than going to Africa. Those people are brave. Uh, Leading worship, leading small groups, leading youth, talking to a difficult neighbor, situation at work, or going on a missions trip. The impact and blessing of saying yes to God is going to blow us away every single time. And I think that's made especially true if we are inadequate, feeling inadequate and underqualified because then we can't take any credit for anything that happens. So we went into this trip unqualified with what would amount to the cheapest form of bread available. And it was even made worse because Dean ripped his hamstring in a foot race with Zula, and so he was on crutches and um, using a cane the whole time. So we had no experts, even though here we are going into a country that's been ripped apart by genocide, women who we knew were survivors of that, extremely poor, they've been victims of violence, um, rape, and issues like that just seem completely overwhelming. It seems it's way too big of a problem to even make an impact. And any one of the things that the women had gone through would cripple me personally, any one of the things they had gone through. But I had my lunch, so I handed it over. We were invited to partner with an NGO in Kigali, Rwanda, called the Poor Women's Development Network. This is Crescent, so I'm not going to... Mukantabana, I think is how you say her second name. So our goal was to train 20 women, first as students and then as teachers, so that they could go out and spread our program out amongst their community. So we spent about four hours a day with these women for 10 days. And we alternated that time between doing self-defense training and trauma therapy. And some of you might remember I shared before I left that I was feeling a deep heaviness Unlike, unlike I've felt before when I've gone on these trips. And people would ask, hey, you're going to Africa again? Are you excited? Are you ready? And I would just burst into tears. Okay, I guess you're not ready yet. <laughs> I, I did not know what God was doing, but I knew he was preparing my heart um, on some level because he knew who, would, who we would be meeting and who we would be walking alongside with. We had been praying with these, or for these women for over a year, not even knowing their names. <clears throat> I'm really thankful he did that because things got heavy really, really quickly, like the first day. So we did intake forms on the first day just to get to know the women's names so that we could do our best to call them by their names, see how many kids they had. We wanted to know... What are we dealing with here? What kinds of trauma are we dealing with? This is one of the 20 intake forms. They're right here. And when we went home that night, Dean and Marlene were busy reading books with Zura in the next room. And I started looking these over. And... I was, my heart was ripped out. I felt completely overwhelmed at the magnitude of the problem. I felt like Philip and Andrew, definitely. This problem is too big, my offering is too small. And I wept, like ugly crying, wept over these papers. 
and all I could do was offer them up for God to take care of. And I told him, the amount of pain that's represented in these pages, he's the one that knows every single detail. He experienced the pain alongside these women, and he's the only one who knows how to heal them. Please help us, Lord, I said over and over again. And then I handed over my fish and loaves. What else was I supposed to do? But it was a really profound moment in my spiritual walk. The Sunday before we left, or the Sunday before I left, Dennis led us in the ocean song. And as soon as I saw the lyrics, I was like, oh, shoot, Dennis, seriously, you pick this song before I leave? He also played it the Sunday I got back, so thanks, Dennis, wherever you are. Thanks for that, buddy. Um, <clears throat> the lyrics just struck me in a profound way. Um, again, I was ugly crying in the pew. like my, I was sobbing like this, and I hope no one thought I was laughing at Dennis because it, I was really just weeping. The lyrics just hit me with such intensity like never before. And I knew that night that praying over these intake forms that God was, deeping, was leading me deeper than I had planned deeper than I was qualified to go and all I could do was surrender completely and I don't think I've ever felt more um, inadequate in my life I, I remember thinking what am I even doing here like is this too late <laughs> is it too late to just go home so it was apparent the next day that God knew in advance how perfect the pairing was between trauma counseling and self-defense training It was instantaneous, I'm not kidding you. It was visible, like it happened before our very eyes, and completely miraculous. We didn't even know going into this why we felt like this would work. We kind of fell backwards into it, and oh, okay, let's, let's do this and do this. But God equipped us to accomplish his purposes before we even knew what we were doing. Once I got home, I started doing more research, and I actually discovered a scientific parallel between trauma therapy and how physical exercise, especially martial arts, it says, can heal the parts of the brain that were affected by trauma. So there are two ways that utilize the brain's own natural resiliency, and just to go on a little, it's not super scientific like Jeff does, but a little bit. We want to try to make these trauma victims feel fully alive and engaged and present in the moment, because what happens with trauma victims is they go back If they're triggered by something, they go back, and they're back in the moment where they were being traumatized. And there's two ways to try and bring them back. One of them is reconnecting them with others and processing memories of the trauma, which was our small group approach. And then this is a quote from a book I'm reading right now. By allowing the body to have experiences that deeply and viscerally contradict the helplessness, rage, or collapse that resulted from the trauma. So the self-defense training and the relaxation techniques in our program, God knew what we didn't and was even able to prepare us unbeknownst to us. We didn't even know what he was doing, and he still did it. So the the ladies learned how to punch and kick and block. They broke boards. They did push up. Oh, they tried to do push up. Their push ups are hilarious. 
And by the end of most days, they were dancing and singing songs together. They shared genocide stories for the first time in 23 years. I mean, just think about that for a minute. Imagine having gone through something like that, first of all, and then having that inside of you. These women had not shared with their children, their husbands, their friends. Their culture just stuffs it down, and it's been sitting in there. And because they trusted Crescents, they said they trusted us. Some of them shared for the first time ever. Their wounds in Rwanda have not healed yet. They have an entire nation walking around with post-traumatic stress disorder for sure. They cried together, comforted each other, and were visibly different within days. And you can play that first one. We're playing it without sound because they got really rowdy in this video. They were smiling, <clears throat> they were showing up early to get extra training, and they were even actually wearing more colorful clothing when they came. And by the end of the two weeks, they reported sleeping better without having to have the radio on. Some of them had a drop in blood pressure. One woman was tasting blood in her mouth for 23 years. That was gone. They had a renewed love for their children, which was really cool because we had mother-daughter pairs training together. And most importantly is they had a deep desire to go and share their stories. One, one lady said, I want to shout it from the mountains, what she'd gone through, and to train and teach other women so that they could feel better like they were feeling better. One example that shows again what God can do with our meager offerings happened with a lady named Fanny. She's a 35-year-old single mom with a special needs boy. And again, Marlene and I were talking about trauma. We're like, well, what are we going to share? Like, okay, first world problem, first world problem. Oh, my dad died. That was traumatic for me. That's all I have right now to share. And it, it was almost embarrassing to call it traumatic after having looked at these intake forms. But it's really all I had for trauma. So I stepped out and shared what that was like to lose my dad. <clears throat> and just the lies that crept into my life about how I was alone, didn't belong in your family anymore. I was really close to my dad. And I shared for maybe three minutes, five minutes. And God took that small offering and opened up a way for Fanny to share her story of losing her dad during the genocide um, for the first time. And she, they don't cry in front of people. In fact, Fanny, the first day, was crying behind the blinds worried that she was making us upset and that we were thinking bad things about her for crying. So I had to get over a lot of, a lot of that save face culture that they experience. So my dad died in a hospital with my mom and my sister next to him. It was very peaceful, pretty peaceful. Not traumatic in the same regard. Fanny was 12 when she saw her dad die a horrifically violent painful and slow death right in front of her. And we didn't even really believe what the translator was saying was accurate. 
because it was so extreme. I had never heard anything so horrific. But Fanny immediately felt a heart connection between the two of us, and every time I saw her after that, she'd do this, pump in her hand. I mean, even now she sends me messages, and she sent me one the other day that said, I thank you with all of my emotion about how you are with me in that sad time. You did what even my family couldn't do for me. And I know that was God. That was, that was God working through me for me saying, yes, I'll share this piddly story of losing my dad is what it felt like. These ladies graduated the program. They got their certificates, which was an awesome day, dancing, singing. And they are now trained as leaders to go out into their own social networks and be trainers of others. Do not mess with these ladies. (laughs) These Rwandan women are strong, strong, strong. They were actually scary sometimes. (laughs) So Crescent and Zura are going to oversee their continued training, and then we will continually check in um, and make sure things are going well. Whew, I didn't cry. Thank you. That was Rwanda. I think I got it all out in the seven times I practiced this. So Uganda was more for us to search out other connections that we had, really small connections that Dean had made the year before, see if we could build upon any of those, and just ask God, what are you already doing here that we can join? And a previous contact was flushed out a little bit that we believe to be spirit-led. We spent a day with Cassandra Children's Aid, their staff and board, and the women, so they're, they're an NGO that work with women and children who have been affected or infected by HIV AIDS. So most of these women either have AIDS, have lost someone to AIDS. Um, huge potential here. It was kind of a rewind of a year ago when we met the women from the Poor Women's Development Network for the first time. It felt like we were reliving that. So we do definitely have plans to go back. We spent one day doing just a modified version of the self-defense, just a little bit of punching and kicking. Again, very scary. I was like moving way far away from what they were punching. They have, they have some issues to work out. Um, and then we did some small group work about the, the CBT therapy and just some lies that they've started to believe about themselves because of the trauma that they've gone through. And we had to actually break them up and get them to stop talking. But we saw leaders arise in that short amount of time, so now we kind of know who to pinpoint for next time. And it was just amazing. Um, They have invited us to come back as soon as we're able to do our resilience training with them. And then remember I asked you guys to pray over the VBS on steroids in the park that we had planned? We had over 400 kids come. And these are, again, kids whose moms we had been with the day before. And we we had just a huge group of kids and so we start working with them and then I see Dean's face and he's looking over in the distance and he's like oh shoot he didn't say oh shoot but I'll say that he did say oh shoot there's a huge group of school children coming to join and it was like okay bring it and it was it was amazing what could have been complete chaos was orderly They were attentive, 
They actually, I think, learned something. They had fun. Their English was pretty good, so we were able to communicate with them. They thought it was hilarious that I got sunburned. You know, they're, I think at one point I had 20 different kids poking me and like, why your skin change color? Why your skin change color? I don't know. I thought it was hilarious. And I don't know if you can see, I'm like right there. There's like two white people in this picture. There's one. Where are you, Dean? Dean's in this one somewhere, right? Where are you? Oh, I can't even see you. You can see him? Yeah, the other white person in there. That was a great day. It was a great day, and we felt like, again, great potential, and their organization was really organized and generous. They fed us lunch. They fed all these kids lunch and had water breaks. It was amazing. So in our last days, we had a couple of days where we didn't have anything planned. We just really wanted to leave it open. God, where are you leading us? What, do you, what else do you have? We're completely exhausted at this time, but hey, we're still here. Let's go to the very end. By divine appointment, um, Dean met a man named Peter in the hotel lobby. <clears throat> we didn't have any prior connections to him. He was just dropping somebody off and saw Dean's justice shirt and started asking questions. And he has his own fish and loaves story. And so I'm going to show you a video. We met the people that are in this video. Um, it's on YouTube. It had like 20 views. Now it's probably got like 45 because of me. So it's not polished. It's not out there. Um, but I just want to, again, reiterate that we thought we had gone through our deep waters already. We had the genocide stuff done. These ladies... We'd met their needs. We'd, we'd endure that and gone through that. But um, God wasn't done with the deep waters yet. How's that for deep waters? We were not really ready for that. But back to Peter. He's trained as an accountant. He's a pastor. And he and Moses saw a need in their community to stop. Child sacrifice has been happening in Uganda, and it's actually on the rise because there's a growing middle class who can now afford to pay for body parts that they believe will give them uh, what's the word? Blessing. Yeah, benefits. Um, 
he, Peter has no special training. He's not a counselor. He actually shared with us that he suffers from his own um, secondary trauma. So he now goes out and does undercover investigations. He puts himself in dangerous situations. He rescues these kids, and then he brings them back to a compound, hides some of them while their cases are still pending, working with other police officers and, and other things. But this is just Peter. He's not rich. He's not, I mean, he's a nice guy, but there's nothing extraordinary about him. But he saw a need, and he stepped out. He brought us to his office, and he wanted to show us the case files of the children that he was investigating. Some of them had, their case files were still open. Um, Some of them had been closed because the children had been found already. But they contained really graphic photographs of of these children that body parts had been um, taken from them and just left, left dead in the grass. And obviously, I did not want to see these pictures. <laughs> so I, I, like, turned my head. It was kind of a, okay, one of these. And I felt God, and I'm not kidding you, do this with my head. Move it back and say, I need you to see this. Okay. I don't know why you want me to see this. And I still don't know what he's going to do with that. But this ministry hasn't left my heart since I've been home. So I know he was prompting me to obey. And because it was obviously from him, I obeyed. So now I'm sitting with this and these images and pictures and wanting to shema. See how I threw that in? Wanting to shema and listen. Because I'm like Peter. Let's just jump into action. Let's do something right now. Let's all go over there and, you know... But I don't know what he wants me to do yet. I don't know if I'm supposed to raise money. I don't know if I'm supposed to move over there. I don't know if I'm supposed to just go over there and do what we've already done. So I'm really just trying to just listen. So after leaving his office, we actually got to go meet some of these kids. He had just rescued the week before we got there 15 boys and girls ranging in age from 8 to 12, who had been rescued from Islamic, Islam, I can't say this, Islamic extremists who had been brainwashing and torturing them to be child soldiers. And they're running around the compound and we got to play with them and pray over them. And then we got to meet Robert. This is Robert from the video. So when the witch doctors hurt him, They caused damage to his feet, so his feet point downwards. And so he's scheduled for surgery in Australia right now. They've had to postpone it for financial reasons, but Peter found, well, God introduced a doctor to Peter on the plane. It was another God story that said, I will do all of these surgeries for free. Just get him to Australia. Genital reconstruction. um, For Robert, it's... um, They're trying to work with his Achilles tendon so that his feet will be flat and he can hopefully just even stand up against a wall someday, maybe walk. They're doing rehab with him, as you saw in the video. Then we met this sweet girl. Oh, my goodness. Her name is Hope. Hope. 
She was completely normal and whole when she was abducted. And a witch doctor had her on an altar for two years and would just take different pieces and parts of her body that he could sell. When I sat down on the bed, the, the far picture over there are a couple of the kids that we brought with us to meet the children and play with the children. Her face just lit up with joy, like she is in those pictures. And I couldn't believe it. I'm sitting there trying to hold it together. I'd tear up and just kind of look away from her for a while, and then I'd turn back, and she'd light up again, and she's making these noises of joy, which is all she could do because her tongue had been removed. And Robert, or Peter said, she's, she's the happiest girl in the compound. And the only explanation I can give for that is that her joy matches the level of torture that she's endured and is now safe from. I have never seen anything like that before in her face, that joy, and it was so humbling. It was so humbling to meet her. So after experiencing all of this, I had to come home, do my job, talk to my kids, talk to some of you guys, um, go to the grocery store. It was really hard. Um, I came back with a real spirit of heaviness, and it lasted for, well, you can see I'm still working through it a little bit. I got prayer, I talked to Jeff, talked to Abby, talked to John, was super helpful, talked to a number of you. Just to process, you know, you got to get it out, but who wants to hear about genocide and child sacrifice? Not a lot of people I know want to really sit down and hash that over with me. So it was really lonely. But one of the prayers that I'm really holding on to is that I would trade my spirit of despair for a garment of praise. And it's working, actually. Kind of giving it a new spin. What can I praise you for? What can I be joyful for? And it's the fact that I even got to go and meet these people. Are you kidding me? Who gets to do that? Like, what an honor. It's so humbling to have said yes, and God says, okay, here's what I have for you. What? You want me to meet all these great people that have gone through all these hard things? You're letting me do that? So humbling. But I do feel joy and expectation of what's to come and what, how we can partner with these people in the future. So my question to you, I have to leave you with a challenge because I'm a teacher, sorry. What's in your lunch sack? I know that for some of you sitting out there, God is stirring something in you right now, right now. What's he asking you to hand over? so that you can watch him work through what you offer. Despite deep waters, we did not anticipate this, obviously. Fear, feelings of inadequacy. He knows that we're afraid. He knows all of those things. He knows we're weak. He knows that all we have in our lunch sack is barley loaves. But all he asks is for you to just hand it over. That act is simple, is handing it over. 
let him pray over that. And then you get to sit back and watch him multiply it before your very eyes. So what would your life look like if you said yes to God? Let him take your barley loaves and fish. And then let him make you brave. Thanks for letting me share today, you guys. I really appreciate it. I know it's not your typical Mother's Day message, um, but it really just needed to get out of me, and I appreciate being able to share it with my church family. So thank you very much for that. I would just like to pray uh, for Stacy. God, thanks for people who are saying yes to you. Saying yes to you in spite of a really small offering and saying yes to you in spite of overwhelming uh, darkness. I thank you for Stacy. I pray that God, you would use this story, these experiences, even more powerfully, even today, God, that there would be people who would, instead of resisting you, um, ignoring your voice, dismissing it, hardening themselves, numbing themselves from some of these things that, um, just like you turned her face to look at the injustice and the suffering, that you would turn the eyes of our hearts to look, God, and see, and then to ask, God, what can I do? How can I say yes? And saying yes, God, might mean saying yes to a relationship in this community, a need in this community, or in this province, or in this country, or in Africa, God. But like Stacy said, would you make us brave? And would you make us, would you empower us to take the next step, even if we're scared? God, help our faith to overcome our fear. And as Dennis now leads us in the song, whose theme is surrender. May it be a song that really does come from our hearts, God. Not just words, but a real prayer of surrender to you. May you bless Stacy, these ministries. We thank you for this amazing report. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I know Stacy kind of apologized a little bit that it's not a typical Mother's Day message, but it really shows us the power that we all have, and especially women of God have who say yes to God, and what God can do powerfully through the women in our lives. And many of us stand here because of the sacrifice and the love that many mothers in our lives have played, many women. I'd like to pray a blessing over 
the women in our congregation I'd like you to remain standing afterwards we have a little treat for you guys but I want to pray this prayer for you to those who gave birth this year to their first child we celebrate with you and to those who lost a child this year we mourn with you to those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains we appreciate you to those who experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. And to those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods and tears and disappointment, we walk with you. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. And to those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests and medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mentoring their own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way that you longed it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you along this complex path. To those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, and yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who placed children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember, I hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. And we have real warriors in our midst. We love you. God, thank you for the women in our life. We understand the value of mothering us. Bless them today in Jesus' name. I'd like you to stay standing, and I'm going to invite the kids to come in and hand out the treats to all the women 18 years old and up. So please remain standing so the kids know uh, who still needs to get their little craft and treat. And then once you get your craft and treat, you are dismissed. You can connect with each other. <laughs>